Well, we were over in the book of Galatians. Last time we started it off and we saw that the folks here in the region of Galatia had left the gospel of grace and gone after another gospel, which Paul said is not even one of the same kind. It's very different. We wanted to go back uh, up a little bit to verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So God called Paul. The uh, call was revealed to Paul. It was not revealed by men. It was revealed by, by God the Father. The grace of the call was realized by Paul, he says. And one thing we have to, to do is whenever God calls us to anything is to realize the grace that's involved on his part. Whatever we walk in, it's not because we deserve it. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. No matter how good we've lived our life, we don't, we don't get what we deserve. We get what we're graced to receive. And so Paul says, by the grace of God, this is how it came. The specifics of the call were recognized. Paul recognized the specifics, and sometimes we may have a general call, but what are the specifics of that call? And Paul realized that, that he was to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel to them. Not just preach the gospel, but Paul, I want you to take it to the Gentiles. And then after he received this, he then retreated. Went over to the area of Arabia to hear from God and to be instructed on all these things. His contact with those in Jerusalem was very limited. And again, Paul is dealing with people that are coming from Jerusalem over into the region of Galatia and are messing with the doctrine that he had been given to them. Now, Paul didn't school them a whole lot in the ways of the Jews because they weren't supposed to follow the ways of the Jews. They were supposed to follow the way of Christianity. And so the, the uh, folks who wanted to preach the Jewish religion and get them involved in that said, well, Paul didn't, of course, go over everything for you. And they left the gospel of grace for one of bondage to the law. He said after three years, he came to Jerusalem. And there he only saw Peter and James. He didn't see all the rest of the folks in there. So he's, he's showing that uh, what Paul has does not come from Jerusalem. It comes from God. These folks are bringing something that comes from Jerusalem. They can't represent it as coming from God because it's, uh, it's, it's in the Old Testament and it's not something that Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ had fulfilled it. But they aren't teaching that. In uh, verse 20, Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God I do not lie. Paul feels like he needs to put this in. He imagined Paul having to put that in. I'm not lying to you guys. But that's what the people who had come had sown. Well, Paul's lying. Paul's a liar. Paul's not filled with truth. Paul's not telling you all the things you need to know. And uh, lots of people will tell you about other people what they aren't doing when they aren't around. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was known by face of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. 
and they glorify God in me. It would seem from that that, all right, they got something out of it, but not quite what I was trying to get out of them. Uh, they, they were more mesmerized by the fact that I used to persecute this way, and now I'm preaching about it more so than the getting the, the message of it. So anyway, that's what he was uh, going over. So they, they didn't really get the whole, they didn't get hold of the gospel that we're trying to teach. So they, he was known, uh, verse 22 again, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. So they, they didn't quite get the whole gospel. Paul wanted them to get more, and they were kind of just focused on that one part. And then it goes over here in chapter 2, in verse 1. Then after 14 years, well, that's a while, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. This seems to be indicating the Acts 15th account. There's also one in Acts 11 in which he went up to Jerusalem in which to bring an offering, but it didn't seem like he had any discussions with anyone in that one. Acts 15 is where he had the discussions, and it would seem to be more, that's the time that he has in, in mind here. And I went by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yes, not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So there's six people in this private meeting, this first meeting. This would include Paul, Barnabas, Titus, which is the ones who came from Antioch, and those who came from Jerusalem were uh, Peter, James, and John. These were the ones that were involved. So they all came together and they were meeting. While they were meeting and going over these things that Paul was preaching, remember that one? That's where James came up with that really fun list. And you'll notice that here in this chapter, he does not refer to the list. He kind of skips over it. But he doesn't go to get their approval. He, gets to, he goes there to explain to them what is happening with the Gentiles. He doesn't want anybody to think that you know, we went there to get their approval because they had to bless this thing. No. He says, and constantly through this chapter, he's kind of distancing himself from the folks in Jerusalem. Look, we got together with some people who are pillars. I don't know who they are. I guess there's somebody special. They aren't special to us. But <laughs> and he's saying things like this. And uh, you know, this is Jerusalem. Um, I'm not from Jerusalem. I'm not out of Jerusalem. I'm out of Antioch. He says that in other places. Uh, you can kind of see that um, he's got something going on there with the church in Jerusalem. Mostly because the church in Jerusalem keeps wanting to pe- bring people into bondage with the law. And Paul is trying to get people to be free. So that's why he's got a little bit of a hang-up. And that, of course has a lot to do with James, not so much Peter and John. Peter and John don't really go out there and, and bring people in the bondage of the law, but James does. And James falls into it more and more and more. James is not one of the apostles, not one of the twelve. It's not Peter. It's not the same Peter, James, and John we see all the time. It's James who's head of the church in Jerusalem, James who is the brother of Jesus, who was not born again during the life of Jesus. So therefore, he didn't uh, come into that. So he's not actually one of the 12 apostles. Peter and John are. James is not. Now, he, uh, Paul also feels the need to defend his apostleship throughout this, uh, this book because people come and they challenge the fact of whether Paul is an actual apostle. And I've heard people who have gotten on this, and uh, you you've probably have heard it too, that want to make a case that Paul should have been the 12th apostle because Paul did more in the area of apostleship than uh, anyone else did and that's false because the 12 apostles are supposed to be 12 witnesses to the life of Jesus of which Paul is not Paul was not born again during that time frame 
Paul did not see the acts of Jesus. Paul does not, he's not going to be a testimony. He was against the things of Jesus all the way up until the time that he was on the road to Damascus. So Paul does not qualify. Anyone who wants to say that Paul should have been the 12th apostle is ignorant of the purpose of the 12 apostles. They are to testify of the life of Jesus. Peter even brings that out when he began to pick it. We need to find someone from among us who has been here all these days, who has seen all these things. And there are many more than 12 uh, the disciples who followed Jesus around, but Jesus out of them picked 12, but that still meant that some of the other ones still followed him around. Out of those is the ones that they picked for these particular things. And there might be some guys that had better names who came along halfway through Jesus' ministry or sometime in there, but the qualification was they needed to be there and see all the works of Jesus. So that's who they were looking for. Paul was, was not one of those. But he's still an apostle. He is just, the apostles are not limited to the 12 that Jesus picked and the one that was picked as the replacement. And just because we don't hear a whole lot about Matthias doesn't mean they picked the wrong one. We didn't hear a whole lot about some other ones in there either. But we, we saw as we went through the uh, post-Acts part that the, they'd actually gone out there and done some things. So uh, we'll just leave that up to them, whatever had gone on. But Paul was not going to be one of the 12 apostles. Verse uh, 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. I went up by revelation, maybe better rendered because of revelation you would think that by revelation that he got some revelation to go up to jerusalem it's not so much that it seems to be what is communicated is that because of the revelation that i have i was called out to go to jerusalem to give testimony of what it was that he was preaching which makes a little bit more sense uh, the gospel which i preached among the gentiles but privately to those who are of reputation lest by any means i might run or had run in vain so he first off pulls these three aside and the three that come from Antioch meet. There may have been two meetings. There was at least one in which Paul brings all these things to these, these guys here. And again, if you want to go back to Acts 15, you can review all that. Titus was one of the ones who was with Paul. And uh, Paul says that not even Titus, who was with him, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, you might think about Timothy, and Paul had Timothy circumcised. So why does Paul have Timothy circumcised and not Titus? Well, he, he liked Titus better. <laughs> I, no, it's not that at all. It's simply this. Timothy had a Jewish mother. And Titus not. Titus was a Greek by uh, both parents. And Timothy was kind of mixed. And so he thought it better for Timothy to go along with the Jewish side of his uh, heritage and be circumcised. But Titus had no such compulsion because he had no Jewish blood in him. So that's why the discrepancy there with what Paul had done. And Paul did not try and persuade Titus to be circumcised, nor was Paul persuaded by those that were around him. Now, Titus is a tough guy. He's not, you're not going to just uh, sway him. He's, uh, he, he's pretty set in what he believes he needs to do. So it says, not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But he's bringing up that Titus was there. So in this meeting, there's Paul, Barnabas, Titus on one side. And on the other side of the table is Peter, James, and John. They come out of that, and Titus is not compelled 
through the meeting or through the people who come in to be circumcised. So what Paul is saying is Titus is a witness that circumcision was not important to Peter, James, and John, who are pillars. He says they, they, they appear to be pillars in the church. So do you think the people who came to you hold a higher position than Peter, James, and John? And they apparently are telling Titus, you're fine the way you are. That's what Paul's using as an example. So you can go up to Titus. You can find out, Titus, are you circumcised? He'll say no. He came out of the meeting. Here's the proof. So he's got that proof right there. And so that's, what, uh, that's why Titus is brought in. That's why he's mentioned, because he's using him as uh, basically living proof about this. And this occurred because of false brethren, secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So it seems that while this meeting is going on with the six, outside of this meeting room, these, these certain ones come in by stealth, he says, to try, and they begin to stir up the people that are around that uh, what Paul and Barnabas and Titus are saying is wrong. And this occurred because of false brethren. Now, here's an interesting thing. False brethren. If you are a false brethren, are you a brethren? <laughs> I mean, he's false, right? It, 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 which means he's not a brethren. So why, did, why use the term false brethren? Why not just use some other kind of term that separates them as being outside? But he uses the term false brethren because people are in the body of Christ who appear to be saved, who appear to worship God, and Paul says they are false. In the same way that Paul had false brethren, folks in the church today, there are false brethren. There are, there are people who are not truly serving God. They're serving their own interests. They're serving religion. They're not serving God. Now, religion, and there's, there's many churches that promote religion over what Paul is talking about, which is the gospel. Religion points to the fact that you need to get yourself right. That's what religion does. The gospel points to the fact that you are a sinner. You need a savior. Jesus is that savior. That's the gospel. You are a sinner. You are born a sinner. No matter what you did, no matter how good you lived, the gospel is you are a sinner. That's how you were born. So, Jesus comes in as the God-man, God made flesh, to be able to live this life in such a way to be your redeemer. He is your savior. You need a savior because you are a sinner. Jesus comes along, is that savior. All you need to do is accept Jesus as your savior and you're saved. But religion doesn't do that. Religion constantly points to what you need to do to make yourself right and acceptable before God. Whether that religion is based upon something in the Christian circles or something else, religion points to you doing something to make yourself acceptable to God. That's religion. All religion. Doesn't matter what it is. It all points to that. Christianity is the only one that someone else did for you what you cannot do. And so that's why Paul says you, you took a gospel, not even the same thing. Not even the same, same place. So false brethren secretly brought in. 
that would seem to indicate that people brought these folks in secretly who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty with which we have in Christ Jesus. Now, why do you make anything be stealth? Because you don't want to detect it. We got those uh, uh, planes now that are stealth planes. They have, they're harder to pick up on radar. We had uh, submarines that they were trying to make stealth submarines so they couldn't be heard or seen as much by the, by the enemy as they are approaching. Because if you're going to be a submarine, you want to be able to sneak up on people. That's the idea of that. Um, you have special forces that go in by stealth. They go in secretly. The army comes in on the front, but special forces come in secretly. They try and infiltrate. That's the whole idea. They, they are the, they're coming in to do harm to the ones that they're trying to penetrate, right? Always. If you want a plane to be in stealth, it's because you want that plane to do some damage to the place where it's flying into or take some pictures or do something. You want something to be done to benefit you that will not benefit them. But you bring it in by stealth so that they don't know to defend themselves against it. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. Why do you send in spies? Spies are sent in to check out what the enemy is doing. Is there any other reason for a spy to be sent in? We want to send them in to undermine what it is that they're doing, to uncover what it is that they're doing, or to somehow find a weakness in what it is that they're doing so that we can stop it. That's what a spy does. They infiltrate. They try and get in. You know, 007, he's a spy. They try and send him in to, to get out there and to, to do the things that they, they want to do. The Israelites sent in how many spies when they first went in there? They sent in 12 for the purpose of spying it out. Find out about the cities. Find out about the weaknesses. Find out about the strengths. We're going to come in there. We're going to battle them. We've got to find out what their strengths are, what their cities are like. We've got to find these kind of things out. So they sent in 12 spies. When they come up the second time, they send in two Two spies. Twelve was too many. <laughs> Out of the twelve, only two were good, so let's just send in two this time. And we send in the two, and they come back. They, uh, they do not bring a bad report. And they bring the report of, of what's going on and what's happening with the, the folks in there. They actually got into the city, and uh, they heard all the things that were going on, and they didn't bring back any kind of a bad report, but they, they set the stage for the uh, folks to come on in and to take Jericho. That's what a spy does. So Paul is using this language. They come in to spy out. Understand this. There are people who pass themselves off as Christians. Brethren, sisters and brothers. People that are on your side. Who are simply spying out where your weaknesses are so that they can pull you down. Understand that's going on. People are out there to try and pull you down. They want to find out what kind of weaknesses you have. What word do you know? What word do you not know? What false doctrine might be latent inside of you that they can kind of build up and, and, uh, and, and, and pull, pull on that to get you to, to come down? What kind of hurts have you had in the past that they can maybe play upon? 
These are the kind of things that these folks do. And so they come on in and they spy this stuff out. They may not be the ones who come against it. They may simply take that information back to the people who sent them, the people who brought them in. Well, they have this and they have that and they have this and they have that. Oh, we can do it this way. All right, we're going to send in other people and they're going to come in and they're going to do this. This is how the enemy works. It's how the enemy works in battle. This is how the enemy works against us. So Paul is saying it very clearly here that there are false brethren. They will be brought into your life secretly by others who come in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now, you can think of this yourself. How many times have you known a believer, someone who was maybe they, they got... Uh, newly born again, or they had been backslidden and came into the God, and you were ministering to them, you were helping them out, and they had seen some things happen in their life, the Word of God was becoming alive to them, healing may have occurred in, in them, and then all of a sudden, someone comes into their life and begins to sow things in which they have a, uh, they begin to become divided with you. They become di- divided with the church that they go to. They become divided with the message that they had received. These people come in and they begin to sow certain things in their life to, di- to divide them and to separate them from those things, those things that were helping them. Who are those people who did it? False brethren. False brethren. That's what the Bible is talking about here. These false brethren came in for the purpose of separating the Galatian saints from Paul, the Galatian saints from the message of the gospel. And Paul has to come in here and defend it. And Paul's shocked. He says, I can't believe how quickly you left this. I'm just amazed. You didn't even leave it for something that's another gospel. You left it for one that's completely different. Can't believe that you did this. And he gets right into exhorting them. But this is what people do. This is what they did back in Paul's day. This is what they do today. And you will see this go on with some people. Just uh, first off, make sure that you don't have it happen with yourself. But as you begin to see it, understand you need to, to, uh, to help those folks out. Now, I don't know about you, but I know some people in the, in the past. I've known. I've seen some of these kind of things going on. And when you try and tell them, hey, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't helping you. This is taking you down the wrong path. What kind of response do you get? I mean, most of the time, haven't we had a negative response? Isn't that amazing? The people who come in and bring a lie into their lives, they receive that better than they receive the thing that you were bringing them into, that you were helping them out with. It just always amazes me how much that is the case. But constantly we see it. We've we've seen, I've seen people here in this, this church. They came in, they got healed off of something that was bothering them for many, many years. And then somebody came along and said, oh, you ought to come and do this. And you ought to come out and do that. And they got away from the word. Got away from, the, the, pretty soon their healing just kind of left them. Why? Because God says, oh, you're doing something bad. I'm not going to have you heal anymore. No. The enemy comes in and he sows seeds to get rid of that healing in their life. You see, that's hurting you again. That's, uh, and they, they begin to accept it. Some of those folks, we uh Heard through the grapevine, not even in church, not even serving God. And certainly that's not how they, 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 they went about doing things, but that's where they are now. We've got to be careful. There are false brethren that are around. They appear to be brethren. 
but they are not. If people come along and they begin to tell you about other folks, but they won't tell you about those other folks in their presence, beware. Beware. They want to say, well, you know, minister so-and-so, they believe this. Do they really? Let's go check with them. Let's go uh, check that out. No, 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 no. I, I'm just telling you, you know, they're, they're going to this, that, the other. No, don't, don't take them. Don't buy it. It's, it's not true. People will, uh, they have facts. They should have facts. They should say, did you say this? Do you believe this? Someone comes to you and say, do you say this? Do you believe this? And you say, no, I don't say that. I don't believe that. Paul is saying, I don't say that. I don't believe that. This is what is true. This is what the gospel says. I told you the gospel. Why are you leaving it for something else? So he's confronting them. But be careful, false brethren. They are around. The devil uses them. He gets them in by stealth. They are spies. Their purpose is to spy out what you are freed in so that they can bring you into bondage. Isn't that amazing that people have the purpose to bring you into bondage? Hmm. Well, they're out there. Just understand, they are there. Just because, you, no, no one would do that. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. Have in the past and will continue to do so. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. <laughs> we're not yielding to those, go, to those guys. We spotted them as soon as they were in there and we exposed them. We didn't yield any kind of submission to them. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Stand up for the things of the, of the word. Never be afraid to stand up for it. You'll be put, put aside. You'll be ostracized by some folks. You'll be uh, ridiculed. That's all right. Let them go ahead and do it. It is better to stand for the truth than to fall subject to a lie. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God shows partial or personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Can you see the distance he's putting between him? And now Peter, James, and John, they're pillars in the church out there. They got good standard. They're doing what God has told them to do. I'm doing what God told them to do. They didn't sow anything into me. It's, but, you know, they're, they're over there. I'm over here. He says, God shows personal favoritism to no man, no person. And he does it. And he does it. Don't think for a moment that anyone is receiving healing. Anyone is receiving a blessing. Anyone is receiving anything from God because God likes them better. There's no favoritism. God will do the same thing for you that he will for someone else as long as you approach him by faith. Faith. Now, there's some folks that I think God gets along with better. But he still will show even if people don't, he doesn't get along with a whole lot. And that's, that's, you know that. I mean, there's some sinners that uh, God's kind of impartial, or indifferent to, but then some sinners he's against. There's some believers that God is uh, uh, bestowing a lot of favor upon simply because they let them. And there's other ones that he's resistant because they got pride in their life. He gets along with certain ones a little bit better. David was called the friend of God. The friend of God. He understood God. So I'll put it to you this way. God loves us all and will do his word for every one of us. But there's some folks that God can just enjoy a little more than the others. I'd like to be one of those ones he wants to he can enjoy. 
And all of us can be. All of us can be that. It's just how, I, how we respond, how we, how we do things. So those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. <laughs> they seem to be something to somebody. So Paul is, uh, is basically saying, you know, these are people that were, had a place. wasn't with me, but it was a place with some people. I don't think we had any blanks that you had to fill in there. Verse 7, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter. Well, there's the gospel of the circumcised. Peter was taken out to those who were Jews. Now, eventually, he was expanded some into some of the Gentiles. But initially, he was just uh, going out there ministering to the Jews. And he said the same way that the gospel was, uh, was given to Peter to go out to the, to the Jews, I was given the gospel to go out to the Gentiles. That's the purpose. You've got to know the purpose of what you're, you're out there for. Know the purpose. But when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, and the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. He's saying Peter was effective. Peter was taking the gospel message to those who were Jews, and he was effective. And when James, Cephas, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So again, we're distancing ourselves. There's James, there's Peter, and John. I mean, they seem to be pillars there. I'm not able to tell you because I'm not part of the church of Jerusalem. Other people are. I'm part of the church of Antioch. But, you know, we're over there in the church. Of, and it seems like people look to them as being pillars. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. But can you see he's kind of going out of his way to... Uh, Separate. They are not people who speak into my life. But they are people who speak into some people's life. Basically what he's saying. And they seem to be pillars perceived. The, gr- the grace that had been given to me, they gave me, me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they simply said, look, let's just divide it up. We're going to keep on doing what we're doing and ministering to the Jews. You keep on doing what you're doing, and you minister to the Gentiles. Paul says, great. (laughs) So he wanted anyway. So they just kind of put their stamp of approval on it. But again, Paul does not, he's he's distancing stuff. These guys are nothing to me. I don't need their approval. I don't need them to recognize what I'm doing. I'm simply going to them because they seem to be something to some people. And we want to help those people out. So we went to them so that they could hear what's going on. Whether they approved of it or not, I don't care. I'm paraphrasing Paul right now. But whether they approved it or not, we were still going to do what we're going to do. But they did hear and they did see and they approved. But they didn't approve and that's why we're going out there and doing things. We're doing things because God called us to do this. God sent us. God gave us the message. Not Peter, not James, and not John. They didn't anoint us to be apostles. They didn't give us the message. They didn't give us the mission. We simply went to them and told them what our mission was accomplishing. So the people who come from Jerusalem and want to say that Paul is wrong or that people in the church of Jerusalem 
are saying that Paul is wrong. What Paul is saying is that is false because we met with the three people who are pillars in that particular church. And they saw what we did. They heard what we did. We laid it all out for them, what we were doing. And they said, great. So there is no one coming from Jerusalem to tell you that we are not approved by anyone from the church of Jerusalem. Because these guys are pillars. And if anything is coming out of Jerusalem, these guys are sending them. They aren't sending us. But they are sending some people. And the people who came to you were not sent by these three. Can you see how he's, he's laying that out? That's what he's trying to get them to, to, to understand. Because someone's, some people from Jerusalem had come out under the authority of the Jerusalem church and said, Paul is wrong. And Paul's saying, that can't be right. James, the head of the church, Peter, I mean, the most prominent of all the apostles, John, one of the most respected of all the apostles. We got Peter, James, and John. And they're all on board with what we're doing. So, who do they have who's behind them? Ask them. Is Peter behind them? Is James behind them? Is John behind them? Ask them. I'm giving you names. They're not probably giving them names. They're just saying that Jerusalem sent them. But he said, no, these are the names. Here's the meeting. Here's when it happened. He's giving them the year that it happened, the time that it happened in. This is the events of the meeting. This is what happened outside of the meeting. This is what people did. These are the people that were there. If you don't want to believe me, find Barnabas, find Titus, find Peter, find John, find James. They will tell you. This is what happened. They'll give you the exact same. And you've got my account in writing. You can take it to them. You can hold it to them and say, is this true? And they'll say, yeah, it's true. So Paul was not sent out by the twelve. Paul's making that very clear. Twelve did not send me out. I'm not part of the twelve. They didn't send me out. Nor inferior to the twelve. He's not sent out by the twelve. He's not inferior to the twelve but was a co-laborer with the twelve. He's saying we are all preaching the same message. They have their place, their call, their specifics. I have mine. But we are all doing the same thing. Therefore, everything that I am doing, the twelve will agree with. So that's what he's laying out for them there. Now we know, well, we didn't finish this all off here yet, did we? Verse 10. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Did they want some other things done? Remember the thing about the drinking the blood and the meat sacrifice? Well, that was James. We don't know that that was Peter or John. James came up with that list. And we went over that. We spent a good bit of time on Acts 15 when we were in the uh, Acts series. So we're not going to belabor all those, all those things here now. But Paul heard those things. And he didn't have a whole lot of respect for it. He took it to the place they were supposed to, which was Antioch. And they said, all right, this is the list they gave us. And you never hear Paul mention the list again. He had uh, no, no real respect for that. There was only one thing on his list that actually was scriptural. And the rest he made up. They were important to James. And it was James who gave it. The Word of God in Acts is very clear about that. Does not mention Peter's name. Does not mention John's name with it. Only mentions James. So there are people 
that are going to come along. I think I, I jumped over this part, but how do we protect ourselves against people that come into our lives like this, these false brethren, these people that are coming in to spy out? So first off, know that they exist. You've got to know that these people are out there, that their purpose is to take you down, to bring you into body. Now, they're, they're patient. They don't want to take you down tomorrow. They'll take you down slowly. What they have to do is, first off, separate believers from the things that bring them strength. They need to separate them from the Word of God. How many times have false brethren come in and instead of, well, the Word of God is good. We love the Word of God. This is good. The Bible's great. But we have this other book. We like you to you know, just read this and you just see if this doesn't agree with, with the Scripture. And so they want to substitute, they want to separate you from the Word of God. Well, the Bible is kind of complicated. You really can't understand it. You, you shouldn't spend that much time on it. Let people who are skilled in that area tell you what it means. They want to separate you. Who is the giver of all truth? Holy Spirit is the giver of all truth. So that means he's the one we need to get tied in with, not anybody else. See, but this, this is what they'll do. They'll come in and they'll, and they'll separate you from, from this. There's people in your life that have helped you along the way. And they want to come in and they want to separate you from those people. That's what they'll, they'll do. They'll try and say things about those people. They'll, they'll, they'll try and, and create uh, rifts between that. Which is what they're doing here in Galatians. Paul came in, ministered to them. And now they're trying to separate them from Paul by challenging the very fact that he was an apostle, by challenging his message, by challenging his call. And so Paul comes in and he defends all these things. That's why he's defending it, because they challenge it. They're trying to separate him from them. And that's what they, they constantly do. So first off, know that they exist. They are out there. Be aware that they will try and show up in your life. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care... What kind of things, how much word you've heard in the past, they will try and pull you down. Compare every teaching, principle, etc. to the Word of God. Whatever it is that people want to come and say, well, this is what the Word of God is teaching here. Really, is that what the Word of God teaches? Is that what the, the Word of God teaches? My wife was telling me about somebody, I consider him a false brethren. Um, I'm not going to tell you his name. It's somebody that you would recognize, though. But. Uh, teaching some things that you activate the covenant. She said, I was just listening to a, a thing he taught uh, that morning. You activate the covenant through praying in tongues. And people buy it. She said that to me. She said, what do you think of this? She said the statement to me. I said, well, I said, that's a, that's a wrong statement. <laughs> that's somebody who doesn't understand the covenant. You don't activate covenant by doing anything. You activate covenant because you are in the covenant. You just access it. That's it. You're not praying. But you see, there's, there are people. Be, well, this is a spirit-filled preacher. This is a spirit-filled person. And they're ministering spirit-filled things. This must be true. True, And it's good to pray in the spirit. We should do that. So by, that they just accept the fact that if I pray in the spirit, I activate the covenant. Wrong. You can activate the covenant whether you pray in the spirit or not. Activate the covenant by getting born again. You get born again, you are in the covenant, Right? That's all there is to it. There is nothing in the Word of God about praying in the Holy Spirit puts you in the place of a covenant. Or does anything to the covenant. Nothing. Nothing at all. It's not there. But this guy's out there teaching it. Yeah. And uh, 
I, I know people who talk about this guy, and they uh, they enjoy him. You got you got to take everything and compare it to the Word of God, because it's just something that subtle that comes in and then once you accept that then we can get something else in there and then something else in there and then something else in there and then somebody comes along and tries to get you the truth back to the truth no 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 that's no I need to pray in the spirit that's how I activate the covenant wrong that's wrong that's, that's not right I know when our time when we were out there in, in Raymond I know Brother Hagin never taught this but other people would come along and they would begin to teach you every once in a while you hear this thing and I've talked about it before too and uh, I, but there was we were listening to a podcast by um, uh, a Raymagrat, and he was he was going on things, and this particular person was talking about pleading the blood. You know, I've stepped on a lot of toes talking about it, but I that's it's a wrong doctrine. It is a wrong doctrine. I don't care who who does it and who's had success with it. It's wrong. It's it's not right. And he would say that his, his mama pleaded the blood over him and said, and look at you, you're still alive. Well, that's not necessarily proof to me. But he, uh, he would always take it to her and, and say, where's in the Scripture? Where's in the Scripture? Well, it's great that he would do that. But uh, I don't know if it was on the same tape, or I think it was uh, sometime later, we found the same brother teaching people to plead the blood. Plead the blood for things that you don't plead the blood for. You don't plead the blood for healing. Where's healing found? In the body of Christ. Not the blood. It's in the body of Christ. See, you start messing with this, mixing this kind of stuff up. Yeah, but it worked for so-and-so. I don't care. It don't matter. What does the Word of God say? We too often argue success and don't argue the Word. Just because something worked doesn't mean it was right. You ever had something on your car, not working right, and you did something, and it really had nothing to do with what it was going going on, but somehow the car was working now. All right, that doesn't mean that thing worked. Just because you kicked it in the tire doesn't mean that it th- that that kicking in the tire is going to make that thing go, even though it went. See, sometimes we think just because it worked. You ever see those commercials they have on there for the sports thing? You know, the guys that are wearing two color socks, or they're wearing a hat in a certain way. It's not superstition if it works or something like that. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, and, the, and the guy who, uh, I think the, the thing, he's, he goes down to the basement. Every time he comes up from the basement, they score a touchdown. So he decides to go down to the basement and stay down there and not watch the game. Well, that's ridiculous. Just because it worked, it has no bearing on the fact that that's going on. But people will buy into this kind of thing, and they'll do that sort of, sort of stuff. You know, and uh, I know hockey players are, are terrible with that. If they uh, win a bunch of games wearing a certain pair of socks, they always got to wear that pair of socks. Uh, they always got to use that stick or they, uh, <laughs> whatever it might be. They always got to do that thing. We get into that superstitious thing, and you can't shake people out of it. You see, you fall into that, you get into bondage. You always got to do it. And, uh, and don't do it. Compare every teaching, every principle to the Word of God. If you don't see it in the Word of God, if it's not taught, if it's not clear... If it's not repeated, and if somebody didn't do it, don't buy it. Don't buy it. It's probably not worth uh, investing any time in. I put this in your outline too. Love the truth more than anything. You've got to love the truth more than people. You've got to love the truth more than things. You've got to love the truth more than places. Number one thing in, the, in your life, you need to love the truth. If brother so-and-so 
sister so-and-so, close in your life, begins to get off, don't get off with them just because you love them. Don't do it. Love the truth more than anything else. And stay with what the truth says. That's the thing we got to do. Put this in the bottom of your outline. Knowing the purpose of people. Know the purpose of three things. First off, know the purpose of people. What is the purpose of that person? It could be people as far as a ministry. What is the purpose of a teacher? What is the purpose of an apostle? What is the purpose of a prophet? What is the purpose of uh, whatever it might be, that, that any of the fivefold ministry? What is their purpose? Know their purpose. Once you know their purpose, then you, you can't get over, overextended into to what goes on. I heard uh, one person talking about just the apostle. For a while, you know, apostles, there's a revival in, the, uh, in people's minds anyway, about what the apostleship was. And so every church had to have an apostle. And so a lot of churches didn't have an apostle. So somebody would come along and I know uh, one person was calling people up. I understand you don't have an apostle. And uh, I just want to let you know you, you're, you're out of the will of God if you don't have an apostle. You need to have an apostle. I'm an apostle. If you want, I'll come on over. And so, you know, they'll be their apostle. And, you know, you take some of your money and you give it to the apostle and, and so forth. And <laughs> that's wrong. But, you know, people are doing it. Some people are gullible. Yeah, there are apostles and we don't have an apostle. So, well, I heard um, um, a pastor I was, I was at, he actually uh, had somebody call and say that to him. And he said, well, how do you know that I'm not an apostle? And the guy didn't know how to answer him. And uh, that was it. <laughs> and then go on for that. And, you know, I hear people, pastors, who want to be called apostle so-and-so. Right? You know, you ask them, how many churches have you started? One. How long have you been at this church? 25 years. Hmm. What's an apostle do? Start churches. They go around and, and start churches. That's their, what's a pastor do? He pastors a church. He stays at one church and he pastors. But somehow we got this idea that, you know, well, how many pastors want to be called apostle this and apostle that? It's kind of crazy, folks. An apostle's ministry is you don't stay anywhere. How long was the longest time Paul ever stayed in one place? Three years. Three years. Longest he ever stayed in one place. Now, I'm not saying that's the, the doctrine that apostles can't be ever be, but that's the longest he ever stayed in one spot. Most of the time he's there for a couple of weeks to a couple of months, six months. He was, he was there and he was gone. He'd raise up people and he'd put those people in charge and he'd move on to another spot. And that's what the apostle does. What's a prophet do? They come and they, they hear what God has to say and they speak that, that particular word out. That's their, that's their purpose. So you've got to know the purpose of the ministry and you receive the purpose of that ministry. But you don't get outside of it. You understand what that purpose of that ministry is. And whatever ministry that you have, you need to understand what is the purpose of the ministry with which I have. And don't get sidetracked from it. Stay with the purpose of that ministry. Know the purposes of the people. That's one thing. Know the purposes of doctrines. Doctrines, all doctrines have a purpose. Every teaching that's in the Word of God has a purpose. What is it supposed to do in my life? What's it supposed to bring about? Know the purpose of the doctrine. Don't just know the doctrine. Know what it is supposed to do. What kind of effect is it supposed to have in my life? What kind of a change should it bring about? How should my life be governed by? What's the purpose of the doctrine? You need to know what the purpose is. Otherwise, you don't really know if it's working. 
Know the purpose of people. Know the purpose of doctrine. Know the purpose of... I, I couldn't think of a better word for this, so I just put in here practices. Prayer would be in that. What's the purpose of prayer? A lot of times people pray, but they don't have a purpose. You've got to have a purpose. Then we've uh, gone over prayer principles before. There are different types of prayer. There's a prayer of faith. There's a prayer of intercession. There's a prayer of supplication. Each of them has a different purpose. Know the purpose of the prayer. Know the purpose of that practice that you're doing that's in the Word of God so that you can accomplish it. What is the purpose of this thing? There's purposes of, of confrontation. What's the purpose of confrontation? It is to bring restoration. It is to bring correction. Know the purpose of the thing. It's not to just bring exposure and embarrass people. Sometimes that's what people do. But that's not the purpose of it. The reason that you confront people is to get them to change, to get them to get in line with what the Word of God has to say. So note, whatever it is you're going to do, make sure that you get in with the purpose. What's the purpose of forgiveness? We're supposed to forgive. What's the purpose of it? Know what the, know what the purpose of each of these things are. If you don't know what the purpose is, then you're very likely going to practice it in a wrong way. You're not going to go. And, and people can come along and, and take you in a, in a bad direction for the thing. You know, we've, we've talked about it before, but in the area of forgiveness and trust, a lot of people have been missed on the purpose. They think that if I forgive someone, that means that I've restored trust. See, they got messed up in the purpose. Trust is not restored at the point of forgiveness. Trust is earned. But you see, if you get off on the purpose, then you can get people set up for another hurt, another failure. That's why it's important to know what is the purpose. If you're not sure, you ought to go to God and say, Father God, what is the purpose of forgiveness? What is the purpose of confession? What is the purpose of walking in love? What is the purpose of patience? Just ask God. What is the purpose of that? If I don't know the purpose... I can go off in the wrong direction. And people can come in and they'll spy it out. You know what? This person doesn't know the purpose. They don't know the reason for this thing that they're doing. We can pull them off of that. You need to find out what the purpose of it is. I think I've related the story one time, but the, the first time I ever came into a practice in running called intervals. Anybody ever heard of that? Intervals is when you run a short distance at a high rate of speed and there's a break in between each one, the intervals gets its name because of the interval between the things that you're doing. And so when I was in high school, it was the first time I came into this, I just, I, I ran. All I did was I, I ran. You start, you end. That's it. Two miles, five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles. I didn't care. You start, you end. That was it. And you just tried to cover the distance as fast as you could. That's all it all I knew as far as running was concerned, no training, no, no, didn't know the purpose of anything. That was it. And so we had a, a gym teacher who was a track coach and he uh, was getting us ready for the one mile run. And so what he had us do is he would have people run half the way around the, around the track and then walk the other half and then run halfway around the track and walk the other half. I heard that and says, that's the, he wasn't there. He was out in, for a little while and he had a substitute come on in. And they gave us this. I'm thinking, that is the most ridiculous thing in the world. If I can't make it a full time around this track several times, I'm, I'm in bad shape. I'm just going to run. And so instead of doing the intervals, I just ran the whole time. I just ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. Because I didn't know the purpose. I didn't know the purpose of the thing. Just run. When I got to college is when I found out the purpose of intervals. And they're painful. And they should be painful. They're supposed to hurt. And he, but, he, but see, when he sat down, he went over the purpose of them. 
he says that his favorite thing was 20 quarter mile runs. 20 times around the quarter mile track and he would give us two minutes rest between each one. You'd run four miles to warm up. You'd run four miles to warm down. Eight miles just in the warm up. And then you're going around the track about another five miles. So you're looking at 13 miles just in the, in, in the total run and uh, not counting what you did in the intervals, in the interval in between. And so they gave us two minutes, and you're allowed to walk, jog, whatever it is that you wanted to do in there. But what he said was, and he gave us the whole purpose, you are to run at 90% speed. Whatever you come in on the first interval, say that you came in at 60 seconds, your last interval and anyone in between had better not be more than three or four seconds slower or faster. He didn't, he, you didn't want to come through at 60 seconds, your last one be at 70. He's going to get on you for that. He says, no, you should be at 65, 64, 66. You need to be more consistent. I want that first one to be very close to what the last one was. He, so he went over. He spelled it out for us because that was a good thing because I didn't know. I don't know what the purpose of this thing is. And then I found out that there were other types and ways to run beside intervals and beside just going out there and running. There was hills. There was tempo runs. There was all sorts of, of stuff in between. And so there's different types, but you have to know the purpose of each one. If you don't know the purpose, you can get steered off. You've got to know the purpose of all these things that God calls you to. What am I supposed to accomplish with this? For some people, the purpose of faith is to get saved. Isn't that right? Don't you know Christians that way? The purpose of faith is to get saved. That's its purpose. Once you get saved, faith is done. That's what they're taught. I mean, is there faith involved in healing? Well, we understand, but if you talk to some people that are in churches where it's faith to be saved and that's it, is there, no, it's whatever the will of God is. If God wants me to be sick, then I'll be sick. If God wants to heal me, then God will heal me. See, there's no faith involved in that. The purpose for them of faith is to get saved. Can you see how that can be, be twisted? You've got to know what the purpose of it is. What is the reason for it being given? We know that the purpose of faith is, is multi. It's, it's to get saved, certainly. It's also to get healed. It's to get finances met. It's to find the purpose. It's to, it's to hear from God. Faith is involved in everything. Whatever you're doing in the gifts of the Spirit is done by, by faith. How we please God. It's by faith. So we understand that faith is involved and it's in the Word of God. But you know people who believe the purpose of faith is salvation. Once you're saved, there's no more purpose for it. That's why you need to get a hold. What is the purpose of the thing that God has? I'll bet you right now there's some things we do in the Word of God. We are not completely sure of the purpose. And we need to find out what it is. We need to pursue. What is the purpose? Why does God have me doing this thing? Why am I supposed to walk this way? Why am I supposed to step out into this? And as you do, other people won't be able to steer you out. Because when they come in and they try and pull you in the wrong direction, no, 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 this is the purpose. Do you know people right now, Christians, born-again Christians, read their Bible, hear the Word of God, but don't go to church? Sure do. We, we, we know that. Why don't they go to church? Because they misunderstood the purpose of church. If you ask them, why don't you go to church? Well, it's filled with hypocrites. It's filled with people who don't really, uh, it's people who, yeah, they're not true. They're not this. or They're disappointed somehow. Well, I got hurt there. What's the purpose of church? See, you've got to find out. What is the purpose of this thing? 
And if you don't find out what the purpose, if you don't know what the purpose is, then somebody can come along, the enemy can come along, and so that you don't need to, you don't need to be in church every Sunday. You don't need to have a body of Christ that you're associated with. You don't need to have believers that are around helping you out. You can do this on your own. And as they do that, and they and they become susceptible to false doctrine, they become susceptible to being discouraged, to be being pulled out of their walk altogether with God. I get started in these, these things. Purpose. You need to know what the purpose is. Know the purpose of people, doctrines, and practices will make us immune to false brethren. If you understand these things, what is the purpose of the people that are in my life? What is the purpose of the ministry gifts that are given to me? What is the pers- purpose of the doctrine? If I learn a new doctrine, what is its purpose? What is it supposed to do for me? How is it supposed to help me? What is it supposed to accomplish in my life? And practices, things like prayer, faith. What are they supposed to do? What end result are they supposed to have in my life? If you get sold out, understand, and sold out the purpose that those things are, people will not be able to steer you off. They won't be able to do it. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in these things. That there are false brethren even around us now. Some of them we've recognized. Some of them we have not. But whatever it is, you don't want their things to do to affect us, to pull us from your way. Just as the Galatian saints were pulled away, they didn't understand the purpose of grace. They didn't understand the purpose of the gospel. And they strayed. Father, we need to know the purpose of all the things that we follow after. We thank you that you help us with that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.